Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today. Matthew uh, chapter 5. It's MLK weekend. Um, I set some goals back in December around some areas, and one of those was physical health. I didn't take good care of myself last year, and thankfully, I'm still, uh, you know, what, 18 days, 17 days in, still, you know, hammering at those goals and trying to do my best. Um, and earlier this week, I walk in the house, and my wife has made brownies. And I said to her, why do you hate me? You know, why? Why do you hate me? And she said, well, somebody's sick. I'm making, you know, making a meal for him. I said, oh, great, so you're godly too, you know. So <clears throat> we're... Um, the, the reality is in, in my life, anytime I try to do something like that, like I try to eat like an adult or something, there's all these things around me that are crying out for my attention, that are crying for me to see these, particularly like these were Ghirardelli double fudge brown, like nah, good brownies, right? And particularly when I'm tired or anxious or worried, those kind of things can attract my attention and call me to a path that's ultimately not going to be the right path, but it's something that's very, very attractive in that moment. Um, now, there are two things that are true about our world right now. First, all of us are just engulfed in this low-level fear and anxiety and worry. We're just engulfed in it together. Now, some of us are engulfed in a fear or a sense of worry and anxiety that we're going to be sick. And you, you might have legitimate reasons to be concerned about that. Some of us have this low-level fear and anxiety around the idea that we're being controlled, either by the government or someone else. Like, there's just this fear that we're being controlled, and you might have some legitimate concerns about that. But what unites these two groups is a low-level sense of anxiety and fear that just engulfs and captivates them. Second, there are all these double-fudge brownies out in the culture that are calling us to them, promising that if we run to them, they're going to give us what our souls crave. There's the 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 opportunity for power, this, this sense that if we can be strong, we'll be okay. There's also this sense of control, this, this idea that if we can be in charge and if others don't make the rules for us, if we can be in charge, that we'll have this sense that we'll be okay and we'll be free from fear and anxiety and worry. For some of us, it's not power and control. It's this approval of others. We think that if the right people say the right things about us, that we'll have this sense that, that we're okay. And none of those things will ever provide the kind of joy, the kind of hope, the kind of security that our souls are craving. And here in Matthew 5, Jesus calls us to a different path. He calls us away from the sugar, sugar rush, carb crash of the world into this real joy that we so desperately need. And his kingdom call in Matthew chapter 5 is away from power to embracing weakness and need. 
And it's away from this command for control to an others-centered ethic. And it's away from this sense of, I need the approval of others to embracing persecution. Regardless of what others are saying, we're embracing persecution. And he promises that this path will get us to joy. And I don't know about you, but I need joy deep in my soul today. And Jesus offers us joy when we follow his path. So I'm going to read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Uh, I'm going to pray and we'll see what Jesus calls us to here. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Lord, we we come to you now and we come to your word because our, our souls long for this kind of joy. And Lord, there's all kinds of things that clamor for our attention, that clamor for our affections, that, that promise a kind of joy that only you can provide. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things from your word today, that we would see this blessing that Jesus pronounces here. They would, we would see Jesus' path of joy and that we would follow with faithful, singly devoted hearts today. Would you grant us that? And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see one thing today. It's got three parts, but we're going to see one thing. And that one thing we're going to see today is Jesus' path to joy. First, let's get some context here in verse one. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. So first it says, seeing the crowds. And in chapter four, uh, we know that he taught them and that he healed many of them. We see that in verses 23 through 25 of chapter four. But apparently Jesus is seeing them in a different way here in verse one. Then it says he goes up on a mountain. This was probably outside Capernaum overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew tells us that his disciples came to him. So Matthew is distinguishing the crowd at the beginning of verse 1 from the disciples at the end of verse 1. Now the crowd were those who were interested. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles. They were interested in him. The disciples were those who had fully surrendered to him. Now listen, they're a mixed bag too. Throughout the book of Matthew, the disciples are going to show how, uh, you know, how stumbly bumbly they are throughout the whole book of Matthew. Okay. But these disciples had surrendered to Jesus. Now, this verse should cause us to ask a very important question. And that question is this. 
Are you part of the crowd or are you a disciple of Jesus? You see, the crowd was interested. Disciples are surrendered. And what Jesus is about to unpack in this path to joy is not for those who are interested. It's for those who are surrendered. And so that's an important question we need to ask today. Am I interested or am I surrendered to Jesus? Now, discipleship, being discipled, growing as disciples is a really important thing for us here in our church. And we've created a tool called Disciple Map. You should have received one of these cards on your way in. This is a helpful tool to help you understand where you are as a disciple of Jesus and to consider where you need to go as a disciple of Jesus. And what we want over the next seven or eight weeks is for you to find a partner, meet with them, and work through some of these questions around four key areas of discipleship, gospel formation, community, worship, and mission. And our hope is that as you meet with meet with one another, you'll understand better where you are and where you need to go and help one another grow in that way. And so here's what we want you to do, okay? Uh, this afternoon, you're going you're gonna to get a message on Realm that is all about Disciple Map. We're going to ask you to sign up because we want to know that you're doing it. Uh, we've got some resources uh, that we want to give you, and we want to be praying for you. So we want you to sign up. Second, we want you to find a partner and walk through this process over the next seven weeks. And if you can't find a partner or you don't know who to, do, who to uh, get partnered with, let us know, and we'll do our best to help you find one. And what our hope is, is that we would all grow as disciples uh, using this tool over the next seven weeks. Because it's not about whether you're interested. The question is, are you surrendered? That's the question. Now, back to Matthew. This brings us to the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 11. You may have heard these verses called the Beatitudes. That's because of the first word of each verse in the Latin translation of the New Testament. The word means blessed. The Greek word means blessed. And the best connecting word in English would be happy. But happy feels kind of surfacey. And this word blessed is more than surface. It's a deep in your gut joy. It's a settledness. It's a joy that's not contingent on your power. It's not contingent on who's in control. It's not contingent on who, who approves of you or who doesn't. It's a deep, settled sense of joy. And again, I need this right now. We need this kind of joy right now. And it's the kind of joy that Jesus offers to his disciples, and he gives us a path to find it. It's got three parts. We embrace weakness and need. We embrace an others-centered ethic. And we embrace persecution. Those are the three parts of this path to joy. Let's start with embracing weakness and need. We see that in verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That phrase, poor in spirit, means you embrace spiritual bankruptcy. You embrace the reality that if you are going to get the kingdom of heaven, it's not going to be because you deserve to be there. It's not because it's not going to be because you earned it. It's not going to be something you achieve. It's got to be something you receive because you understand I'm poor in spirit. And disciples embrace that reality of our weakness. We embrace our spiritual bankruptcy. And there's a promise for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
The next part of embracing our weakness and need is verse four. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This idea of mourning means that we acknowledge, we acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge the loss. We acknowledge the grief that's deep in our souls. We, we get outside what's inside, and there's a promise connected to that. For they shall be comforted. This idea is that when we get outside what's inside, God, in his grace, brings comfort to us, and we get joy. Now, the problem many of us have is that when we feel loss and pain, we don't embrace it and acknowledge it. We try to cover it and hide it. And listen, that kind of pain is going to come out somewhere. It's not, it's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be silenced. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be bottled up for very long. It's coming out somewhere. It'll come out in all kinds of directions. And the path that Jesus calls his disciples to is to mourn, to get outside what's inside. And the promise is they shall be comforted. The next one is verse five. He says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meek sounds like weak, right? But it's not at all the same word. Meek is power under control. This word was used of war horses in the Roman Empire. This idea of incredible strength and power under the control of another. And Jesus says, blessed, happy, filled with joy are those who are meek, whose power is under the control of another. It's not the call to, to re- release or reject power. It's the call to make sure that whatever power you have is being used to serve others and not yourself. The one who has all power. Philippians 2 says he laid it aside and took on the form of a servant. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the kind of meekness we're called to. And the promise is that when we embrace that kind of meekness, we get joy. Last last way we embrace weakness and need here in the Beatitudes is verse six. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Joy comes when we acknowledge in our hunger and thirst that there's righteousness we can't achieve. There's righteousness we can't get. And righteousness in the book of Matthew means conformity to God's written word. Conformity to God's word and will. And when we embrace our need and say, I need that and I can't get that, the promises were satisfied. For they shall be satisfied. So these four Beatitudes point us to the first part of Jesus' path to joy. And that path to joy is that we embrace weakness and need. In his book, Weakness is the Way, J.I. Packer said this, the way of true spiritual strength leading to real fruitfulness in Christian life and service is the humble, self-distrustful way of consciously recognized weakness in spiritual things. He's saying we embrace our weakness and need. That's the path to joy. Now, I really wish that embracing weakness and need was a box we check. Yep, did that. No, that's not how this works. 
This is an ongoing way of life, embracing the reality of our weakness and need. And our drift is not, our drift is not toward weakness and need. Our drift is toward strength and self-sufficiency. And so as followers of Jesus, we've got to resist this idea that we can do it on our own, and we've got to run to the one who says joy is found when we embrace weakness and need. Second part of God's of Jesus' path to joy is that we embrace an others-centered ethic. We embrace an others-centered ethic. Look at verse 7. He says, "Blessed are those, uh, excuse me, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy." Jesus says the path to joy is an others-centered ethic where we as followers of Jesus are displaying mercy. And we need a lot of mercy for one another. There's a lot of anger for one another. There's a lot of distrust for one another. There's a lot of uh, questioning of one another. We need a lot of mercy for one another. And the promise is when we show mercy, we get mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, the hard part about mercy is that there's everything in us that wants vengeance. We want to be right. We want to win. And all that can create bitterness and anger and a desire for vengeance inside. One writer said this, that bitterness or or unforgiveness is the poison we drink, thinking the other person will die. And Jesus' call is for us to show mercy, for us to be others-centered. We show Mercy. The next one that fits under this category, we're going to come back to verse 8. The next one is verse 9. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not peacekeepers, peacemakers. These are people who see where God's shalom, God's sense of wellness and peace, uh, that's both personal and communal. People see where God's peace is not reigning, and they seek to make it there. And it says peacemakers will be called sons of God because they reflect the character of their father, who is God. You see, God was a peacemaker. He saw where there was uh, not peace between God and man. He sent his son to die to make peace there. And so often he sees where there's not peace between his children, and he sends another child of God there to make peace there. And when we are peacemakers, we show ourselves to be the sons and daughters of God. And that is the path to joy. Having an others-centered ethic where we show mercy and seek to make peace, that's the path to joy. Finally, Jesus says we find joy when we embrace persecution. Look at verse 10. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Opposed to seeking the approval of others, Jesus calls his disciples to embrace persecution when it comes. And he says, embracing persecution is a path to joy. Now, I want you to notice, 
It's persecution for righteousness sake, not for being kooky. And Christians are some of the best at being kooky and calling it persecution. All right. We have a hair trigger on calling stuff persecution. He says, blessed are you, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Righteousness in Matthew is a conformity to God's word and will. So when you are living your life in conformity to God's word and will, and you are persecuted, Jesus says, you're, that's joy. It's joy. And then he doubles down to verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you, when they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely. So they're not telling the truth about you. On my account, Jesus says. And then he gives a command. Rejoice and be glad. Disciples get joy when in the midst of persecution, they're not afraid, they're not running, they are rejoicing and being glad. And he gives them two reasons for it. And the first one is not in this world. Look at that. For your reward is great in heaven. Why can we be joyful in the midst of embracing persecution? Because this is not the end. We have a reward that is great. And if everything about this world brings persecution on Christians, we've still got a great reward when we're faithful to him. And we have nothing to be afraid of. Second reason we can rejoice and be glad is because we're in good company. Look at verse 12. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, Christians have always been persecuted. In, in 2 Timothy, Paul says, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So why are we afraid of it? Why are we afraid of it? Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because you got a great reward and you're in good company. This is the path to joy. It's not power. It's embracing weakness and need. It's not control for yourself. It's embracing another centered ethic. It's not the approval of others, whoever they are. It's embracing persecution. That's the path to lasting joy. And so a quick question. Do you want joy? Do you want joy? Because there's only one way we find it. We don't find it in this sense of being in control. We don't find it in the approval of others. We find it following Jesus in full surrender to our king and his kingdom. Not, not, not by being interested like the crowd, not even by listening and maybe even experiencing some of Jesus' healing like they did in chapter 4, but being fully surrendered to our king and his kingdom. That's how we find joy. That's what verse 8 means. When he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
That idea of a pure heart is uh, an internal purity, not an external piety. Jesus has, uh, well, John the Baptist has already interacted with the Pharisees and, and some of the religious people who had an external piety, but not an internal purity. Jesus is calling his disciples to an internal purity here. And, and this idea of pure is not, is not moral and, and in the sense that we think of moral. It's, it's really about a single-minded devotion to Jesus and Jesus alone. It's a single-minded surrender and devotion to Jesus. And the promise is we will see God. And so do you want joy? Well, the way you get joy is a pure heart. The way you get joy is a pure heart. And the problem that creates for us is that none of us have a pure heart. For some of us, we've never trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. And here's what the Bible would say about your heart. The Bible would say your heart is is dead because of sin. That your heart is dead, that your heart is dirty, that your heart is guilty, and that you stand before God. If you've not trusted Christ, you stand before God as someone rightfully condemned because of your sin. But the good news, the good news is that our King can clean Dirty hearts. That if you'll bring, if you'll bring your heart to Jesus, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if that's you today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know that Whatever path you pursue will never bring you the kind of joy your soul craves. And whatever path you're pursuing is mounting sin upon sin upon sin. And you need to know that the king loves you and died so that you could be forgiven and free. And if you've never trusted him, you need to bring your heart to him. You need to bring your heart to him so that you can be forgiven and free. Now, many of us in this room, we've brought our heart to him before. We've surrendered to Jesus. And, and our heart was clean. And we stand before God with a, a clean heart because of Jesus. And our heart is so often divided. We're, we're focused on Jesus and these are the things. We're focused on singly-minded devotion to Christ and all these other things. We're afraid. We're anxious. We're worried. And our king would say today to bring your distracted, divided, drifting heart back to him. And he'll give you a pure heart. He'll give you a pure heart. Our hope when our hearts are divided, distracted, and drifting is not for us to do better. Our hope when our hearts are are this way is not for us to try hard. Our only hope when our hearts are distracted, distance, and drifting is to come back to our King and to bow our knee to Him and to embrace our weakness, to say, Jesus, I can't, Jesus, I can't even fix my own heart. Jesus, I'm mourning, I'm mourning over my sin. I, I desperately 
am hungry and thirsty for a righteousness that you and you only can provide for me. Jesus, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. I need your peacemaking to to reshape my heart, Jesus, so that my heart is pure, single-minded, singly devoted to you. And he never answers no to that prayer. His answer is always yes. Yes. He's never intimidated by how messed up our hearts are. He's never anxious. He's never worried. He's never afraid. He is fully settled in his godness. And so nothing we bring to him is going to intimidate him. I'm supposed to finish now. If you want joy, if you want the kind of joy that will see you through the mess we're living through and into eternity, there's only one way to get it. And that's at the feet of King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us that we don't deserve. We, 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 we do our best all the time to distance ourselves from you, to distance ourselves from you, to, uh, to run from you. We, we do our best all the time to do that. And yet, Lord, you, you never give up on us. You never, uh, you never reject us when we return. Lord, I, we are so grateful for that kind of mercy, that kind of love, that kind of grace. Lord, would you remind us of that and give us a, uh, just give us a desire Give us hearts that are, that are not drifting and distracted. Give us hearts that are single-minded, devoted, pure hearts in surrender to you as our king. Help us, Lord. We need it. We need you. We need your grace. And we ask for it today in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.